Hi, and welcome to Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dodson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on the retirement of longtime Northwest Indiana lawmaker Frank Murban. Governor Eric Holcomb laid out his agenda during his annual State of the State Address. And Chris Noti has a conversation with Charlie Misovi of Meals on Wheels about the increased need for volunteers. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. Northwest Indiana's two state-supported public universities are in the final stages of planning their 2022, their 2022 Martin Luther King Jr. Day events. Purdue University Northwest invites the community to join in a celebration of diversity, inclusion, and the civil rights icon's legacy in its annual program on Monday, January 17th. The free virtual event takes place from 8.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. and can be viewed at PNW's YouTube channel during or after this time. The program's theme is Social Justice Begins With Me. It focuses on inward reflection for a commitment to bettering humanity and in turn, extending that mission to the larger community. Indiana University will host its annual Social Justice Conference to honor the life and legacy of Dr. King on Sunday, January 16th and Monday, January 17th. The theme of this year's conference is based upon Dr. King's article, The Purpose of Education. The free and open to the public conference will also include local programming hosted by IU Northwest. They include, on Monday the 17th at 2 p.m. via Zoom, a program called Standing Up for One's Civil Rights with Northwest Indiana resident Brian Vukadinovich. Vukadinovich will discuss his experiences representing himself pro se, fighting for his civil rights against police and employers, and how he was eventually vindicated by winning several judgments in federal court. More information about both IU Northwest and Purdue Northwest King Day events can be found on the university's websites. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Dan Vicari has returned to the Gary International Airport as chief executive, this time permanently. The Gary Chicago International Airport Authority appointed Vicari to the post earlier this week. He takes over from Dwayne Hayden. Hayden served as airport executive director from 2018 to the end of 2021 when his yearly contract expired and the airport authority did not pursue a renewal. Bakari had served as interim executive director from 2015 to 2018 along with running the Gary Sanitary District. He also began working with the airport as manager of its runway expansion project in 2013. Dan Vicari stepped down from the sanitary district top position when he was named to the airport job, and a senior staffer has taken over. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. 
Lake County jury trials have been suspended for the rest of January due to the pandemic. Judge Salvador Vasquez told the Post-Tribune that the decision is, quote, a balance of what's best for our staff and our community, end quote. It's a local decision looking at the virus's spread in the past few weeks and the heavy strain right now on local hospital capacity. Lake County courts have kept strict COVID precautions in place, keeping infected inmates in their quarantine and asking other defendants with a positive test to stay home. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Governor Eric Holcomb touted a few Northwest Indiana infrastructure investments during Tuesday's State of the State address. When the South Shore Double Track and the Westlake Corridor are completed, they won't just reduce travel times, they will, but they'll fuel an explosion of new investment and opportunity in Northwest Indiana, the likes we haven't seen in decades. The governor also included a new Westville Correctional Facility on his list of future state capital projects. Holcomb highlighted Indiana's continued success in steel production by also calling it, quote, becoming a magnet for the industries of the future, end quote. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. A longtime Northwest Indiana lawmaker is stepping down. State Senator Frank Mervan says he's retiring effective Tuesday, January 11th, after 43 years in the state legislature. In a statement, Senator Mervan touted his support for organized labor, veterans, public safety workers, as well as first responders over the years. He also says he'll continue to do all he can to be engaged in the issues of health, education, and the economy amid what he calls unprecedented challenges. Mervan also promises to continue supporting Northwest Indiana nonprofits and charitable organizations, and he looks forward to spending more time with his family. Frank's son, Northwest Indiana Congressman Frank J. Mervan, said in a statement of his father's retirement, quote, My father has always been for me the model of a dedicated public servant. His legislative approach and value of bipartisanship and pragmatism will continue to guide me and all those with whom he worked during his career, end quote. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The city of Valparaiso has a new roadmap for the coming years. Mayor Matt Murphy announced the completion of a new strategic plan during Monday's city council meeting. We continue working collectively each day to move Valparaiso forward. We see this plan as another tool that helps guide our way. The plan includes seven overall priorities, public safety, infrastructure, quality of life, recreation, fiscal health, operational improvements, and business. 
a number of the specific action steps aim to continue developing Valpo's downtown, balancing the demands of housing, retail, dining, and convenient parking. The plan also tries to meet the needs of older residents by encouraging the development of senior housing as well as recreational opportunities. Another action item calls for the city to develop a fresh brand to attract new business and tourism. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Porter County residents are calling on leaders to reevaluate their plans for federal COVID money. The county government is getting more than $33 million from the American Rescue Plan. Some local advocates say it's a unique opportunity to address the structural challenges facing the community. Elizabeth Gingrich is a professor of international trade at Valparaiso University. She told the county commissioners Tuesday that time is running out to address climate change. Why can't we electrify and put in uh, charging stations throughout the town? Why can't we put solar on the county governments, uh, government buildings? Let's use this money to put Porter County on the map for all the right reasons. The county's initial plan includes $5.5 million to upgrade the Memorial Opera House. Based on the idea that the tourism and hospitality industry was negatively impacted by the pandemic. But Valparaiso resident Sheila Sweeney feels that money could be better used addressing issues like homelessness and domestic violence. $5.5 million for uh, an opera house seems excessive to me when we have so much suffering that's uh, ongoing. Sweeney said a petition asking the county council to reject the plan has collected more than 130 signatures. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb says he, quote, respects two opinions from the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday. One blocked vaccine requirements for large employers. Another upheld requirements for healthcare workers in medical facilities that receive federal dollars. Holcomb says he still believes a COVID-19 vaccine is the number one tool to protect Hoosiers. But he also contends neither state nor federal government should issue vaccine requirements on businesses. Attorney General Todd Rokita, meanwhile, said the court correctly decided against the, quote, intrusive federal overreach of the OSHA rule, end quote. He said he'll continue to fight vaccination requirements for federal contractors and child care workers who benefit from federal Head Start grants. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Indiana has added 1,000 new confirmed COVID-19 deaths to its total in a little more than two weeks, pushing the state past another grim milestone, 19,000 dead. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Lauren Chapman explains reported deaths are growing following the state's Delta surge. With updated data from the weekend, the Indiana Department of Health brought its confirmed COVID-19 deaths total to 19,084. 
the state peaked at an average of 98 deaths per day in December 2020. October 2021's average was about 30. November was 28.7, and December 2021 has climbed to 52.5, a number which is still growing as it takes a little longer to report confirmed deaths. These deaths still trend younger than earlier in the pandemic. Before August, fewer than 3% of deaths were Hoosiers younger than 50. But since then, that has grown to 9%. This increase in deaths is mirrored by the state's growing COVID-19 hospital census, which is currently hovering just shy of the state's pandemic peak from November 2020. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Lauren Chapman. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Indiana schools received nearly $3 billion in pandemic relief. They are required to post plans for how they will use at least some of that money. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Dylan Pierce-McCoy says details on how the money will be spent is incomplete. The most recent stimulus bill required districts to post plans online. So WFYI used information from the Indiana Education Department to put together a database of how much each district will receive and links to their plans. What did we find? Schools have used the aid to pay for academic support like tutors, social workers, and longer school days. They've also invested in areas that have long been underfunded, from repairing ventilation systems to updating class materials. But some school systems did not include specifics in the plans they posted, and others didn't share working links to their plans with the state. I'm Dylan Pierce-McCoy. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Governor Eric Holcomb gave Hoosiers a progress report on Tuesday in his annual State of the State address. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Brandon Smith reports the speech was a resuscitation of Holcomb's recently announced agenda yielding no new announcements or surprises. Holcomb used much of the speech to trumpet recent successes, income growth and low unemployment rate, teacher pay raises, and billions of dollars in infrastructure improvements. Despite our challenges, this is a time of unprecedented growth, connections, momentum, and opportunity for all Hoosiers. He also pitched future plans, a proposed business tax cut this year, and major spending in 2023, including significant investments in public health and economic development. To close his address, Holcomb made another impassioned plea for Hoosiers to get vaccinated against COVID-19. I say this even if you've disagreed with every position I've taken, because I, I want us both to be around to continue to have those disagreements. Indiana is one of the worst states in the country for the percentage of its population vaccinated against the virus. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Brandon Smith at the State House. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Democrats say the governor was alarmingly silent of confronting the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic in his State of the State address. House Minority Leader Phil Gianquinta says he does not appreciate Governor Eric Holcomb staying away from, quote, divisive social issues. The governor does not have, though, I didn't see, that much of a roadmap for 2022. Democratic leaders are advocating for immediate investments in affordable child care, care and health, as well as pushing for an increased minimum wage and legalized cannabis. Legislative Republicans, they argue, 
are instead focused on curbing COVID vaccine mandates and restricting how challenging subjects are taught in the classroom. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The Indiana Black Legislative Caucus says its 2022 agenda is focused on economic empowerment. Caucus Chair Robin Shackelford says that means more than just jobs and wealth. Much of it includes looking at how our students are educated and the resources that go into educating black and brown students. Legislation the caucus will push includes scholarships for students of color pursuing health care careers, a pilot program aimed at helping parents attain an education and helping reduce the cost of child care. Senator Jean Bro says economic empowerment is also about promoting what she calls thriveability. Tools such as tax policy, removal of burdensome fees, and protecting families against unfair lending and appraisals. Those measures include a proposed child tax credit, creating a fund to provide housing down payment assistance and grants, and required implicit bias training for appraisers. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. A controversial school curriculum and parent transparency bill advanced in the Indiana House Wednesday. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Jenny Lindsay reports a committee approved the legislation after making minor adjustments in response to criticisms of the bill. House Bill 1134 increases parents' authority over school content and would limit how teachers talk about things like race, religion, and politics in their classroom. The House Education Committee made minor changes before voting on it, like adding a line to ensure that teachers can talk about ideals that conflict with the U.S. Constitution. Or, as bill author Representative Tony Cook puts it, clarifies that schools can and should teach that Nazism is bad. All of the Democrats on the committee, as well as Republican Representative Ed Clear, voted against the bill. But it now goes to the full House for consideration after the other eight Republicans on the committee voted yes. A Senate committee planned to vote on its version of the bill Wednesday afternoon, but it was removed from the agenda. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Jeannie Lindsay. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Turmoil in the Middle East is affecting what you pay at the gas pump. Network Indiana's John Herrick explains how. You may have heard that there have been recent riots in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan seeing some unrest. Kazakhstan is the 18th largest oil producer in the world. Gas Buddy's head of petroleum analysis, Patrick DeHaan, says Libya has also had pipeline problems, which are causing oil and gas prices to go up even at a time when demand is decreasing because of the Omicron variant and people staying inside more due to the cold weather. John Herrick, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The organization which provides nutritious meals to the elderly, homebound, and others in Lake Porter, Newton, 
and Jasper counties is looking for more people to help deliver meals and help prepare them for delivery. Meals on Wheels volunteer manager Charlie Masovi was recently on Regionally Speaking with host Chris Noti to talk about their current Cold Days Warm Hearts volunteer campaign to meet the demand for drivers. Here's the conversation. More meals uh, going out each day is because we have experienced a high volume increase of clients who need our services. Meals on Wheels provides a hot, nutritious, low-sodium, heart-healthy meal to those in need in the Lake and Porter counties and northwest Indiana, and we do that all with the support of community volunteers. So our new campaign, Cold Days, which of course we are now experiencing winter, mm-hmm. uh, we would like to ask our volunteers in the communities to step up and help warm the hearts of our clients in need with a warm meal and a wellness check that gives the client uh, person who set them up uh, a second look at that uh, their health and wellness for the mm-hmm. day. So not only do we provide that heart-healthy meal, we provide that wellness check that gives any emergency contact information to the person who set them up with us a little peace of mind every day that they are okay, especially in this weather. How many meals are you delivering every day uh, here in, in Lake and Porter and Newton and Jasper counties through uh, the Meals on Wheels program? We are now delivering upwards of 1,700 meals a day, all prepared fresh in our state-of-the-art commercial kitchen right here in Maryville. And we are looking to get those meals out to all of the new clients that have come on board in the last couple of months, um, especially during our COVID surges. People are not necessarily going out as much. Um, and of course, some of our volunteers, um, that we're all human, they're falling ill um, to the COVID surge that's happening in northwest Indiana. So we're reaching out for volunteers to drive meals home to home in the Maryville, Hammond, Highland, Griffith, Hobart, Miller, Munster, Whiting, and Lakes of the Four Seasons. Now back here in the kitchens here in Maryville, I know they need some extra help as well too, besides having more drivers out there to deliver the meals. Tell us, if you will, first about uh, some of the operations there at the kitchens and the kind of staff that you have on hand there and and what extra help you're looking for there to to help uh, push those meals along a little further. Our kitchen volunteers help out by packing the cold side bags, which may include a juice box, milk, a side salad, a roll or butter, and they pack those in the mornings from 9 to 11, or there's an afternoon shift available from 12.30 until 2 p.m. Uh, both require standing for that amount of time because it's an assembly line process that packs the bags and gets it ready for delivery. And we also feature frozen meals that go out and need to be packed, and that usually happens on Thursdays from 12.30 until about 2 in the afternoon so that we can get those out on Friday so our clients have a weekend meal. That's very important because we know that uh, people that do count on Meals on Wheels uh, Monday through Friday, they they appreciate uh, knowing that the, the weekends are covered too, don't they? Most definitely, and we also make sure that we send out a blizzard box. So in the event that we cannot deliver to a certain area based on the snow squalls that happen, we have already sent out a shelf-stable, heart-healthy meal 
so that they will always have something in the event we cannot deliver. What kind of response have you gotten uh, here in in recent weeks because of the COVID getting in the way to to getting volunteers uh, to sign up here and be helpful? And if you will, tell us too about uh, the the training that you offer to anybody who who certainly is a driver, but maybe doesn't know how to necessarily be a volunteer driver for Meals on Wheels. That's correct. We are always looking for those um, volunteer meal delivery drivers. Our new Training sessions are scheduled for tomorrow, Tuesday, January 11th at 11 a.m. and again at 2 p.m. or Thursday, January 13 at 11 a.m. Um, all they have to do is uh, come for the training for about an hour. We are introducing our new mobile meals app, which makes the delivery process so much easier, so much so much more convenient mm-hmm. because it in it will initiate your navigation uh, on your phone, and it tells you exactly how to get from home to home. It gives you their information uh, with their exact address, uh, their phone numbers already pre-programmed. Um, it has been a great uh, move forward as we continue to thrive here at Meals on Wheels. What kind of feedback do you get, uh, not only from uh, from folks in, in the community at large, but also from the people who uh, get those uh, meals every single day through Meals on Wheels? They are very grateful. Uh, we did a great campaign getting their feedback for the holiday season, and they have mentioned how much they appreciate and how grateful they are for the meal delivery service. Some said they wouldn't eat if they did not get meals on wheels. Some said they have lost weight because they are on a heart-healthy diet. Uh, They feel better. Uh, They have um, great resolve that they know that that meal is coming every day. They look forward to visiting with the driver. It is really a great way to turn your compassion into action. We look forward to having an onslaught of volunteers join us this week. Charlie Masovi can be reached at 219-756-3663 or via email at charlie at mownwi.org. Regionally Speaking is on air at 11 a.m. Mondays through Thursdays on Lakeshore Public Radio on 89.1 FM and streaming live online at lakeshorepublicradio.org, where you can also find podcasts of the program. For the latest in local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local host Chris Noti. Lakeshore Update is supported by the listeners and members of Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. Podcasts for Lakeshore Update are posted each Friday on our website, lakeshorepublicradio.org, as well as on NPR One. Make sure you search for WLPR and select us as your home station. Music for Lakeshore Update was written and produced by bensound.com. For Lakeshore Update, I'm Dee Dotson.